0: Well, we're going to go back to the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, and we're going to go to chapter 22. This is where a lot of things just started back in Genesis, um, a lot of different principles we introduced here, um, and there's also a lot of great stories here, and also peculiar stories. Um, I wanted to talk about um, our tone of victory. I was on the phone to someone this morning and the tone of the conversation was happy. I was just organising something with someone. He was happy, um, jubilant, peaceful. And as he's driving the car, talking to me on his hands, free, the next minute he hits something and the tone changed. And um, he said, I think I better go. And I said, I think you should. Yes. Um, And so he sorted things out and he regained his, his vibe, his tone. Um, how he was, but it, it can chop and change like the wind. But um, to have a stable tone in life, um, just a stable, stable, it, a tone is the answer. word just the stability of that through life is is a peaceful thing, and we see it in the world from from a national and international level. See it in countries where um. I think we've recently seen it in a particular country where their leader, I think after four years, they got, the people seem to feel embarrassed by the tone of their leader. And um, he was um, replaced by someone else who brought in a more stable tone to their country. Um, That was back in January. It rolls down to our own communities, our own homes, and and the tone that we set in our own homes, Um, whether the peaceful tone, as I was up here before, I was just thinking about... um, story that Pastor Chris brings out sometimes about the tone of his household when he was a young lad and that um, he'd hear the car parked and the handbrake pulled up and he'd know the tone of his father by footsteps walking through the door it was something like that Um, and and we have I guess when when we're parents we have a duty to to sort of run the tone of the home and run ourselves and I I guess I just wanted to ask um, regarding ourselves personally and the church um, what is the tone that we expect of ourselves? What is the tone that we set for ourselves in the church? And um, I, I'm just so glad to be part of a work that um, we've got a tone of victory throughout throughout the decades, throughout the years. Um, there's been plenty of things that have been hard along the way um, and and there's been plenty of victories along the way. And not, not only in the work, but in Adelaide or, or outside of Adelaide and just the trials that, that the fellowship has overcome, but also the multiple, multiple, multiple stories of victory of people that were against the odds. We had a, a just a week and a half ago, a great weekend by stuff that people can't explain with normal logic. It was Miracle Children weekend and, and there was lots of stories that were local and international of, of people's lives where their backs were against the wall and this was a particular subject of, of people um, that were struggling in their lives with children and that sort of thing and and the tone was to always hold strong to the truth. The tone through those stories was always to hold hope when as you read in Hebrews 11 when hope was against you and um, it's always something that I I rejoiced in. I've been proud to be a part and that we're not just a church that gets together and we settle for what it is. It is what it is, is not us. It is what it can be. It is what the, the hope that that may be unseen at this stage, but the hope that God has given us. And that tone of the, that we should never, never give in and we should never give up and that God is with us is one that sets, sets us forward. And I wanted to just look at a particular situation here of a young man And his dad and where things could have just been um, well things were questionable through this story if we read in Genesis chapter 22 uh, verse 1 so we're just going to read this passage here and it says and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him Abraham and he said behold here I am and he said, Take now thy Sunday only son Isaac, whom you love, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I, which I shall tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lift up his eyes and saw the place afar off and Abraham said unto his young men abide here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you so Abraham and Isaac are about to depart in one area and they're leaving their two mates who's helping with uh, the luggage I guess just to the side and Abraham in verse 6 took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called upon him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand up upon this lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, or respect God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, the, behind him came a uh, him a ram poured in the thicket by his horns and abraham had took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son and abraham called the name of that place jehovah jireh and it is said to this day in the mount of the lord shall be seen my provider by the way is jehovah jireh and the lord of the angel called unto abraham out of out of heaven the second time and said by myself i have sworn that the lord for because that thou hast done this thing and has not withheld thy son, thy only son, that in the blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying or will modify thy seed. Verse um, 19, just jump across there. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Here is a son. If you look at it, this story, from uh, we've always traditionally said, Abraham, that is amazing. I don't know how he did it. We firstly admire Abraham's faith, tremendous faith, um, and then we take it to ourselves, our own conviction. And usually the tone that we say to ourselves is, Abraham, that is amazing. And then we take it to ourselves. I don't know if I could ever do that. But rarely do we ever consider this young man Isaac. This guy has gone on this journey. He, he would have loved and trusted his father the number one person. who would have looked up to him, respected him, watched his every move, listened to everything he said. Next minute, they're walking up to this place. Where's the rand Trust me, son. Let's trust God together. They're up there. Next minute, it's, from a humanity point of view, it's, <laughs> it's horrendous, the story. Horrendous. Um, and I couldn't imagine coming back without your child. I've lost my child a few times in life already, and the thought of going back to Angie without the child, it's just not worth it. <laughs> but what about Isaac's perception on all this? Would have he gone back and the two mates that were there said, so how's your trip, Isaac? And he's like, "That yeah, good. Like, how would have he taken that when he's gone and seen his mates? And I said, so how's the burn offering the other day, mate? I was like, oh, that's. That's a little... He's a bit of a psychopath, to be honest. To be honest. And then, I mean, from a, from a natural level, how many psychological issues could have developed from this moment where, where every waking moment that your father had with you, you would have watched. Every word that he said would have sunk into your heart. You, you spent this time, you spent experiences like this and then he's just ripped the rug of trust from under your feet like there's no tomorrow. And how do you cope with that? Here is an opportunity for a man to, to, for one moment, to have his whole future life dictated by this moment of mistrust, of disappointment, and, and, and this moment where he could have well and truly become the victim in life. But yet we read on in the Bible that this young man, Isaac, he grows up and he becomes a great man by himself. He, he, he marries a, a wonderful woman of God and he does great things in his own life. See, what Isaac has done in this story is rather than taking the hurt, the offence, the mistrust, the disappointment, and all the negative things that he had so had the right to take, he chose not to. He didn't get a gang of guys around him and, and have compassion on him and tell him it's all going to be okay. Instead, he followed his father's faithful steps and he could see in his father's eyes that he had a great love for God. And blessings followed his father from that. And blessings followed Isaac from that. And it is so often in life that the tone that is set before us, we can follow it with spiritual eyes. Or we can follow it with the eyes that will hold us back in life. They're, they're certainly not going to make us forward or move us forward in life. They're going to keep us in this reserved position. And if, any, if, if, if it is going to take anything, by letting one moment dictate our life in a, in a negative way, it's, it's actually not going to lead us in a spot. It's going to reverse our position with, with discovering life and discovering the goodness of God. And, and we'll, feel, we'll feel left. We'll feel left out. We'll feel left alone. And God desires so much more for us. So when we read stories like this, we, we stagger with, are you serious? That's, that's crazy. But yet there's an admiration in this story, of not only of Abraham and his faith, but there's an admiration here of the deception and how his son took it and the blessings that came from that. But let's turn to James chapter 4 in the New Testament. Just a couple of verses here in James chapter 4. It just says in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, and by the way sometimes the word submit can, can seem very degrading. Um, well it's, it's obviously and particularly not when we're referring to God because it's our right to submit ourselves to God. But there's other references where it talks about submission, um, submit, submission to your spouse um, and submission to authority. Um And it's just a reflection of us getting our headspace in the right way. We're not ultimately, ultimately we're s- submitting, s- submitting, submitting, submitting. You're a good man, Chris. We should catch up again. Ultimately, ultimately, we're submitting our lives to God, but it's reflected through sometimes going ahead with a plan that we didn't have in mind and, and going with Someone that um, is leading in charge or, or in a marriage um, could be negotiating or submitting. Um, so it's not, a, all I'm getting at is it's not an evil thing. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God or draw near to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is... An amazing verse. You can flip over it and not read too much into it. But in verse eight here, there is a a realization of something. We're living in a really, really complicated world at the moment, 2021. Um, not not the year as such, but just the generation. There's so much um, people. Um, It's a serious problem. People really are struggling globally. Um, It's a pandemic, mental illness, and and just trying to um, keep people's thoughts in order, um, keep people's thoughts good. Um, But there is a little part in this verse here which links two different things. It says, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It talks about the hearts, and it talks about the mind, and it's suggesting here, albeit it's a small suggestion, but it's suggesting here to purify your heart, submitting yourself to God, and when we do so, it will clear up our double-mindedness, it will clear up the confusion. it will just clear things up, and, and the clouds can slowly disappear, and we can start seeing things a little bit more clearly. If, we, I mean, if we were to revert back to the story of Isaac and how clouded and, and how unwell his frame of mind could have got just by that one moment. But yet what he, what he saw was a moment with his father who wasn't double minded. He had a single clear vision and he knew his father's heart. And what it's saying here, just in this, these few words, is that when we cleanse our hearts, when we turn our hearts around and, and, and decide where our hearts are pointing, the compass is pointing towards God and nothing else. He can start having an effect from here to here. And, and everything in front of us just starts clearing. And this is the benefit of, of, of looking towards God and ignoring what the world has got in front of us. The, Story of Job is also a fascinating story. It's a man that was pulled to Nineveh. It's like driving out of your driveway. You're meant to go turn right, and you drive left. Jonah was asked to drive right to Nineveh, and instead, that was God telling me that him he, he freaked out and he went left to Tarshish, and and he immediately he immediately went on this this um, I guess it was an adventure, but away from what his mission was. And um, he went onto a ship and he got thrown off the ship by people that didn't like him. They, they drew straws and said, you're the man to blame for, the, for why um, the oceans are going crazy. He fell into the belly of a big fish or a whale. Um, he was spat back out. And and he ended up going to Nineveh and he saved, he ended up saving through the Lord. He saved a whole um, land of people. But there, is, there are some words in Jonah chapter 2 where he talks about The waters compassed me about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. And he's he's describing the situation that he found himself in all because his heart was not not cleansed. He was double-minded. You can see the process of this double-minded man through the whole story. In fact, the way the story ends is he's sitting under this weird mushroom-type thing at the end and he's feeling sorry for himself, whatever it is. He, he, he just couldn't get his heart pure in the right place and cleanse himself and, and become single-minded. And he describes it in, in such emphatic style in the scriptures, the weeds are wrapped around my head. And I guess, I guess all I'm saying in James 4 and these couple of verses is that God is giving us a clear vision on how we might be able to relieve ourselves of the headaches, the unnecessary headaches, That the world can give us and and doesn't that feel like a fresh thought to have that we don't need to carry around all these unnecessary headaches the double-mindedness that the world gives us the infliction that is thrown at us but yet if we just cleanse our hearts we will purify and make our our mind clean Um, ephesians chapter five if you would just wanted to delve into a few little scriptures here Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's just some good practicalities of our life and family environments and uh, relationships and that sort of thing. Just one verse in verse 29. It just says here, we'll come back to this verse, but it just says here, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord of the church. Sometimes we can get a little bit down on ourselves um, and we know we can do better and we need to pick ourselves up from those sort of places but never does a man hate himself it's, it's what it's saying here and and we can have moments in life there's there's most certainly peaks and troughs in life um, but it's the, there's always the opportunity to say um, to yourself privately I, I can do you a little better Um but never that you would hate your own body. In verse um, 22 here, it just says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as the church is the head of um, the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Um, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. By the way, I'm not getting into some sort of a marriage talk here, and I'm not doing about wives submitting. And if ever in the Bible you feel it looks a little lopsided one way or the other, there are some serious responsibilities on both parties. Anyway, I'd like to steer away from the whole marriage thing. Moving on. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ has also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, the glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So you ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. But no man, as we read before, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church. I just wanted to, um, touch on, um, the tone of victory in our own, in our own, um, households and in our own homes, um, really is, is such a pivotal part in life. And the Lord has given us. I mean, just like Jonah, it's very obvious with the story of Jonah that the Lord said go right, and he's gone left because he was scared of the responsibility. Um, and that's a really human trait, and it's an understandable thing. The Scriptures have given us some. Um, they've given us some responsibilities to when we're a husband to take care of our homes and take care of our wives when we're fathers, to, to take care of the children and to and to set the tone. And then there's also scriptures that talk more about the ladies and um, being wives of the husbands and mums and all that sort of thing. But I guess I just wanted to mention the distractions that can come into our home environments these days. Um, it was never like that, I'm sure, decades ago, not many decades ago. But these days, the world, the world is... At your feet, at your fingertips, in your own, in your own homes, and so much, um, so much goodness can be lost these days. Um, so much time. I remember regarding parenting, um, someone said to us when Jasmine was young, they said, "Cherish it, because you only got eighteen summers with her." And um, it just gives you a sense of the time is short. You you want to cherish it you want to make the most of it Um, and with being um, in a marriage I think the important thing is is you want to you want to make your spouse feel like they're the most important thing not that something is more important than them or someone is more important than them and and by setting that tone in in the home You can create a happy home, a good future. Um, and I mean, I've, I've, I was young, I've, I've sort of grown up in this work, and I've seen lots and lots of good examples of that that have gone before me. And I was really fortunate as a young man to, to have generally a happy home environment with a, with a good tone and, and one that feared the Lord and respected the Lord. But, This world, um, it can give us so many distractions and, and the, what people will talk about mostly in life is charity and love when they talk about God and, um, church and, and all that sort of thing. They'll really have a heavy focus on it. Brendan gave a talk a couple of weeks ago about, um, judgment and mercy. And the God that we worship actually, he actually balances both. And, um, people will, they'll really have a heavy, heavy focus on love and charity and, and maybe the keynote chapter for that is Corinthians 13, the charity chapter, the chapter that's all about love. But amongst that chapter that is, that is wholesome and it's good and it's lovely and all this sort of thing that it talks about in Corinthians 13, there's still a few pointers in there. It says, um, it's Paul writing it and Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And here is a single man that wouldn't have had a he, he wouldn't have been looking after a home he wouldn't have um had a family, but he knew what was good for himself and then that flow-on effect of what was good for himself would have affected the people he was talking with and dealing with and he just mentions this little bit here when I became a man when i when I grew up, that's when I put away childish things so ephesians five here. Um, I may not be very eloquent in the way I'm putting this, but I I think the scriptures are just putting here that there's a good way to live our life as as Christians and just running our home and and our relationships. And and pivotal points are to to not let anyone or anything feel more special than the ones that you should be making feel special and to set that tone that they're important and that as a family to come together and and pray together, because you know that you worship, worshiping a young, um, an important thing, worshiping the Lord. um Maybe in closing, Psalms 37, if you will, Psalm chapter 37, Psalms 37. Just in closing, just in verse three, it says here a few quick verses: Trust in the Lord and do good; so shalt thou dwell in the land, and and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. I had a real, real serious psychological issue with commitment, <laughs> particularly leading into into marriage. Turns out Angie's quite a nice young lady, but um, but just thinking about commitment did my head in. But as I've grown up, or somewhat grown up, um, I've become a little less scared of committing. But Spiritually, just here, it's saying, commit your way unto the Lord, and He will bring it to pass. And there's there's other places that it says, He shall he, he will bless the desires of your heart when you commit your ways unto the Lord. When when we're setting the concrete and the foundation of our walks, um, you just want to get it as right as you possibly can. You want to get that tone good from the start because your future really depends on where you've set that. And this is just a cool little verse that says, you know what, don't be scared to just commit and you'll see the blessings come your way later.